Amen. Heavenly Father, on this beautiful Sunday morning, we want to look together into thy word, knowing that thou art uh, everywhere, and that even though we cannot gather together, yet each place where thy children are found and where they turn to thee in prayer is indeed hallowed ground. And so, Heavenly Father, we want to now set aside this time to look together into thy word, to seek direction from thee, to understand thee as thou art, and in doing so, to draw closer to thee and to dwell in the light. Be with those that could not gather with us this morning, uh, those that may be facing difficulties of health, those who may be experiencing other difficulties, and as we anticipate a blessing from thy word today. We ask that thou bless them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just remembering to set up a recording here. <clears throat> uh, for the text for this morning's message, if you'll turn with me to the first uh, general epistle of John, John 1 chapter one. We're going to start reading in chapter one and go into chapter two. I'll give you, give you a minute or two to, uh, to find that. <clears throat> and while you're um, finding that, uh, we, as, as has been mentioned before, in, in CFG for our Bible study, our weekly Bible study, we've been looking at the attributes of God. And today I'd like to focus again uh, on, on his attributes, but perhaps on, the, on the, the practical outworkings of those same attributes, that we would understand that knowing God is not an intellectual or a purely theological exercise, but it was, is a very practical and experiential one. It's something that we we not only uh, not only touches every area of our life, the things we do, the decisions we make, but also um, informs the way that we even think and how we approach life and what our goals are, and uh, and therefore is intensely practical for everything that we do. So if you'll turn with me to John uh, chapter first John chapter one. <clears throat> John writes, that which we, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I'd like to stop for a moment at the, at the fourth verse and just make mention of why I selected that particular hymn. <clears throat> and especially the last verse. Uh... The hymn writer, whoever it was that, that penned these words, is obviously looking to a, a personal experience with God, apart from the world. 
and uh, a couple of Wednesdays ago, we we had a, a lesson together on the self-sufficiency or the perfection of God, what that means. And it's really important when we think about God that we realize that he is not uh, a man in the sense that we are. Uh, he is not only so much greater, but there's things about him that are that are indescribable and that we can't relate to. And one of them is his his perfection, his his self-sufficiency. There is nothing that he needs. There is nothing outside of him. Um, the mystery of God is his is his perfection. One of the things we don't know about God is why he created men in the in the first place, other than to say it's simply for his good pleasure, which of course we know. But why? There was nothing lacking in the Godhead before there was anything else. In his perfection, there was the perfection of love, joy, beauty, all of the attributes of God. And so we have to realize that when we talk about God, we need to talk about joining him because he, in his perfection, we have lack. And, and the things that cause us unhappiness and pain here uh, can be answered in God. And so we need to seek him. He is actually the source. You know, people, people talk about looking for the secret of happiness. God is the secret of happiness. He is the fullness of all things. And so that, that last verse that we sang together from 239 <clears throat> says, Perfect God, thou once wast lonely. Ere the world was formed by thee. There are some, even in our own circles, that have problems with this verse. It seems to be describing um, a lack in God or, or, or a loneliness in God like he had a need. That's not, I don't think, what the hymn writer intended at all. I think he shows that God was at one time solitary and solitary in his perfection. There was nothing lacking in the Godhead that had any need there. But he was alone by himself. That's what lonely means, right? Before anything was formed, and in that loneliness, in that in that solitary time, before time, there was perfection, there was beauty, and there was the answer to everything. And therefore, the hymn, hymn writer says, blessed is he who with thee only lives in thy eternity. Without God, I like the way that the hymn writer writes in the Zion's Harp uh, hymn. It's, what is heaven above without thee? A deserted banquet hall. That's such a great word picture to me of, of what heaven would be like without God there. <clears throat> uh, and he concludes in this, in this fifth verse, In thy stillness meet seclude. Let me share thy solitude. Whatever God gives us, he shares with us. And so... When John wrote this uh, epistle for us to, uh, to consider, he writes these things that our joy may be full, as he says in the fourth verse. And that fullness of joy can only, <clears throat> can only happen in God. So how does that practically work? Let's keep reading. Verse 5 from 1 John 1. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. John is arguably, maybe not even arguably, the one who knew Christ the very best. He was the disciple that was most intimate with Christ. He laid it on his breast at the Last Supper. And lest you think that that relationship was a one-sided one, when Christ was on the cross, his only possession, his only um, thing that he was leaving behind, his mother, he entrusted to this same disciple. And it says, from that day on, he took her into his own home. So this, this disciple of Christ, who knew Christ so intimately, he he still understood that there were two attributes of God that we don't often talk about, yet are very true about him. The first, I'm going to use some big words and then try to define them. God is ineffable. And what that simply means is he's undescribable, indescribable. He, he's beyond words. Words do not reach far enough to, to describe God in his, in his fullness, in his completeness. And there's one other attribute, too, which we sometimes forget, and that's he is incomprehensible. And that means he's unknowable. Uh, it comes, I think, incomprehensible. It, you are unable to grasp around God. We, in modern language, we, we, we use the, uh, the saying to, to get your arms around something, to understand it. We use that figuratively. Well, we can't do that with God. There are things about God that we simply cannot know and perhaps we'll never know. I, I, I'm not 100% sure of that. Um, I think an element that will make heaven heaven is the fact that we are with an infinite loving God and we will be continuously discovering new things about him and praising him for that. 
So all of that to say that the Apostle John, the one who knew Christ perhaps the very best when he was here below, also realized there were things about him that could not be understood. And he left them alone. He simply let them be. Uh, he talks about these things. Um, he's been called the mystic of the New Testament. And I, I find that so fitting for this man who knew Christ so practically and yet realized that there, were, there, there was a part of Christ that, and, and, and about the Godhead that still was, was unknowable. And he simply says things and asks us to accept them without trying to explain it. And so it's, it's worthwhile whenever we approach the word of God to realize that the word of God is primarily to be believed and to be lived. The Bible does not pretend to explain everything. And for those that would like it to do that, I'm sorry, but you're looking in the wrong place. Your problem is not a lack of information. Because even if God could reveal himself to you in his completeness, you wouldn't be able to understand it because you're limited. It would be like trying to pour the ocean into a cup. Uh, it wouldn't work. So your problem is actually a heart problem. And your problem is one of unbelief. And as, we, as I mentioned in the closing of the sermon last week, really at the root of it is, I think for many people, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God, and that prevents them from believing, as Christ said to the Pharisees. You cannot believe because you love honor for men. So let's let's simply step through some of these verses and, and note some of the things that, that John says about Christ and about us. Because as I said, they're intensely practical in nature. I guess, first of all, the, the framework for these letters, John speaks about heresy. Uh, about false teachings that were coming into the church. And so he writes these letters in response to them. And I find that so interesting because, of course, you know, perhaps you've had the experience where someone is describing someone who you know very well and is describing them unfairly or in a wrong way. And uh, I, I, can, I, can, I can picture how John would be so incensed, so upset by those who were who were describing Christ in, in a way other than what he was. And so he writes these letters. Uh, it's been said about heresy that heresy is not the leaving of truth, but rather the, the selective emphasis on, on parts of truth to the exclusion of others. What does that mean? Uh, it means when you take something about God and you focus exclusively on that one attribute to the exclusion of the things that he has said about himself in other areas that don't fit with that. That's really the root of all heresy, I think. That right from the early church to the present day, picking and choosing things about God that we like and ignoring things that we don't like or minimizing them or explaining them away. And so John now is setting the record straight as to who Christ really was, what he's really like, and what it is to know him. Okay. <clears throat> he starts with his credentials. He was one who actually saw Christ in the flesh. And I like the way that he puts it. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked upon him. Our hands have handled. We touched him. We hugged him. We ministered to him as he was here below. And that, that life that came from God was, was shown forth and they were witnesses of it. 
And uh, what, what, what John is seeking to do here is to show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He says, I know him. I know that preacher from Galilee, but I also know the God who saved me. And now I want to know him too. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. I like how he reverses the order here. He says, look, we want you to have fellowship with, with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, we see the self-sufficiency, the perfection of God coming through, that, that it is by joining him in his perfection that we find the fullness of all things. And, and if there's any mistaking what, what John is saying here, in the fourth verse he says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy only exists in God. And therefore, it's by knowing him and being in him that we can experience that joy. First of all, he says, we need to talk about God and we need to talk about his attributes. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, people like light. Um... I'm in a well-lit room that faces east. Uh, sunlight is a beautiful thing. People want to go outside. Even in their homes, they, they make holes in the roof and put in skylights to let in more light. We rejoice in the light. Except the light that John is talking of here is a moral light, is the light of truth. It's as much the part of the nature of God as the light is a nature part of the nature of our sun that as the as the sun sheds light down on us so God sends his light of truth on all men if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth for someone to claim they love the light, but always dwelling in the shadow and avoiding the light, how can that be? That's a lie. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. I love the, the coupling here that, that John uh, does with these words. He talks about God being the light and exposing and showing the darkness, showing the darkness within us. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't simply expose us as the sun exposes uh, 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 things to its light. But he gives us a solution for what has been exposed. And that blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting to see here again that John doesn't try to explain this. He just simply states it. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. He doesn't explain how it works. He doesn't explain what the nature of that cleansing is. He doesn't try to um, put any conditions on it. He just simply states it. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Unless people would think that, well... I don't really have any sin. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, 
and the truth is not in us. Throughout John's letters, you will notice a peculiar language that he uses. He says many times, we or ye, and then he says them or they. And what he's talking about is two distinct groups of people. The world sorts itself only into two. And it's interesting that the disciple of love, as we call John, who wrote so much about love, was very clear cut when it came to dividing these two groups of people. The we and ye, when he's talking to the church, the redeemed of God, and the them and they, when he's talking about those that, in the world, that are in the world. There's no middle ground. Now, much like with this virus, you're either infected or you're not. There's no partial infection. You either have it or you don't. And it's the same with Christianity. There are some that would pretend, perhaps, for their own benefit, I suppose, to, to feign discipleship with Christ. But John's very clear. He calls them liars. He says, look at their walk. Are they walking in the light? Are they walking as if all their deeds and their hearts are exposed to the God of truth? So we have a problem of sin. And he, John goes on to elaborate. I'm so thankful that he does. He, he, he lays all of this out for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There are a few things here. If we confess our sins, this must be one who is walking in the light already. The light exposes the sin. Confession is on our part. We need to bring our sins into the light in order to confess them. There's no other way. So we must be talking about believers here. This is the we that John is talking about. Now, some will say, I don't believe in sinning Christians. And someone famously once said, I don't believe in sinning Christians either, but I sure meet a lot of them. And so the problem of sin in the Christian is not something to be made light of. Sin belongs with the darkness. And for those that walk in the light, there should be no sin. We have no excuse for sin. The only thing that we can do when sin is present in our life is to confess it and forsake it. But if we do, listen to what it says. If we confess our sins, and you may have missed this in the, in the reading of it, he is faithful. Let's stop there for a moment. <clears throat> God says that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. He, he will forgive those sins. <clears throat> sins that are confessed of and forsaken will be forgiven. He's faithful in that. He's not going to go back on his word. But there's more. He says he's faithful and just. Have you stopped and thought about that for a moment? When we're talking about God and his attributes, we're talking about his attributes to perfection, to infinity, 
the fullness, the, 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 the most infinite expression of that attribute. So if anyone is faithful, you know, we call, um, uh, what comes to mind is, is the, the, the Marine Corps in the U.S. <clears throat> Each of the armed services has a motto, and the, the, the motto for the Marine Corps in the U.S. is Semper Fidelis, and it means always faithful. <clears throat> their faithfulness to their cause and their flag pales in comparison to the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is, is infinitely greater than any faithfulness man or beast could show. We talk about faithful dogs and so on. <clears throat> but then he says something else. He's faithful and just. Think about that for a moment. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not only is he going to do it because he's infinitely faithful, but he's going to do it. He's going to forgive our sins if they're confessed because he's infinitely just. My mind stumbles at that. That's another one of the mysteries of God. And John doesn't try to explain it. He just simply states it. He lays it out before us and says, he's just. More than that, he's infinitely just to forgive us. Why? Because the sacrifice of Christ's blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, is so amazing and so effective. Justice now switches over and sides with us. Before justice condemned us. Now justice comes over to our side and says, yes, I'm with him. Some of you may have seen the movie <clears throat> a number of years ago uh, that was put out called Amazing Grace. And it was a, I guess, a dramatization of the, uh, of the biography of William Wilberforce, who was a, um, a Christian and a, a, a member of parliament in the United Kingdom back in the 1800s, who was instrumental in bringing about the end of slavery in Britain. And there was a scene from that movie that was really, really had a lot of impact with me. There was a, there was an old, very powerful MP. I think his name was Fox, who was sitting on the opposite side from Wilberforce. And Wilberforce was alone with just a small group of, of, of MPs that rallied around his cause, that agreed that it was godly and right to free the slaves, that they are, they are men and women created in the image of God. And against him was uh, over 200 other MPs that uh, were in support of the economic benefits of slavery and how it lined their own pockets. And after a particularly, uh, I think it was a moving speech on the part of Wilberforce, this fox stands up and crosses over the aisle to sit with a small group of, of MPs opposed to slavery. How much more is it when God's justice, that infinite attribute of himself that demands perfection, perfect balances, as he says elsewhere in scripture, crosses over now to our side? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Don't try to understand that. You won't be able to. Simply accept, accept it as John wrote it here. 
when we realize that, when we realize how effective Christ's sacrifice was for us, how potent his blood is, that it would cause God's justice, as it were, to switch sides, to now declare us just before God. Now, who are you to toy with sin? If the light exposes it, confess it and forsake it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That true light cannot uh, uh, contradict itself. Where, we, where there is sin in our life, there is only one solution, confession and forsaking of that sin. There is no excuse nor cloak. We can't point to other people as Adam did. We cannot um, claim extenuating circumstances or uh, workplace stress or whatever you may want to attribute it to. We cannot deny what the, what the truth exposes. And this is exactly why. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. An advocate is like a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you deny your sin, you are saying that Christ doesn't need to be there as your advocate. You'll represent yourself. Thank you very much. Would you really want to step out from under that protection? Do you really want to stand on your own merit before the infinite justice of an almighty God? It says further here, and he is the propitiation for our sin. That's a, that's a big word. Helps to realize where it comes from. <clears throat> it's the same word as mercy seat, the lid for the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that covered the Holy Ark. That mercy seat was, was sprinkled with blood on the Day of Atonement. Christ's own blood now serves as the covering for us, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. <clears throat> Those who would claim the doctrine of limited atonement, that Christ only died, for the ones that he would equip to respond to his grace. In my opinion, it's nonsense. People have been trying to do what I've said they shouldn't do, trying to figure it out and put together the pieces instead of simply accepting the word of God as it's stated here. That blood was shed for the whole world. Every soul that has been, uh, is, and ever will be can be covered by that blood. God in his infinite wisdom and for his good pleasure made us with a will. He allowed us the grace to make a free will choice. And he is willing to abide by what that choice may be. So each one needs to be very careful how they use that gift of choice and what they will do with the light that they have been given. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments.
It doesn't say, and hereby we do know that we know him because we've been baptized. It doesn't say, and hereby we do know that we know him because we attended church faithfully every Sunday. It doesn't say, and hereby we know him, hereby we do know that we know him because we suffered even in prison for a decade or longer. No. It's in the keeping of his commandments. Do we do what he says? And that's an ongoing thing. That's both. Really, it's 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 only a blessing. I was going to say it's a blessing and it's also a disadvantage, but that's not correct. It's it's only a blessing that the Bible is this way. Why? Because your yesterdays do not matter to God. If you begin keeping his commandments, and we can go into more what that exactly means, that can start today. And you will know him and you will know him better. But for the brother or sister who have spent long years and experienced pain in faithful service to the Lord, there's a blessing to you too. Keep doing what you're doing. No man will take away your reward. There are rewards going to be given in heaven. And not only the reward in heaven, but you already benefit from knowing him here. It's been said before that heaven begins here with knowing Christ and knowing God. So nobody is shortchanged. For the one that has been walking far from God and realizes that the, that the light of truth has exposed things in their own life that need to be confessed and forsaken. Good. Start today. And I think we all, if we're honest, can think back even over the last day or two and, and, and realize there were things that perhaps came out of us that have no, diff, no, no business being in the light. They belong to the darkness. And so they, they must be confessed and repented of. But for those that are in faithful service, take assurance and, and, and comfort in the fact that none of those, those things that have been done in the past will not be without reward. Keep doing what you're doing. There is going to be a final reckoning and accounting for all of the faithful service that's been rendered to God. <clears throat> but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Keeping the word of God is the love of God perfected. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You cannot claim to love God and not keep his commandments. So realize that it is in the doing of the word, not even in the reading or understanding of it, that that causes the fullness of the love of God to be manifest in us. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Do you want to know how to walk? Do you want to know how to behave here below? Do you want to know how you should handle your finances? Do you want to know how uh, how you should treat your family? Do you know how you should? Do you want to know how you should treat those that are are in in uh, difficult situations? We can see all of that in the way that Christ walked here below. 
these things can all be made clear to us. As we consider these things that we've looked at this morning, the attributes of God, who he is, his greatness, his indescribableness, his unknowableness, look to those things that you do know. Look to those things that have been revealed about him. Realize what a great God he is and what he's done for you. And in, in, in knowing these things now, do them. That's the love of God perfected. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to the word that was spoken. Amen. So, um, as Brother Phil was preaching, what came to my mind was something that has come up many times before. And that is, there are those, there are some that believe that once you're a Christian, you'll never sin again. I think it's evidently clear, not just from the scripture, but if we're honest with ourselves, we sin and we need forgiveness. Not that God allows or permits sin. God forbid that he would allow sin. But he forgives sin, as we heard. And there are perhaps some also that may look at the church and recognize that believers do sin. And they may think that, look at that, he's a believer. He's a follower of Christ and he sins. He's a hypocrite. And I don't want to be a part of the hypocrites. I think if we really examine ourselves, we need to admit that the church of Christ is not perfect now. It will become perfect because we are all becoming conformed to the image of Christ. The body of Jesus Christ, he absorbs our sin in his blood. And what makes someone just and right before God is not that he is sinless, but that when he, he or she do sin and they confess their sin and they acknowledge their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And Brother Phil sort of expounded on how, how could that be? How could God be just and now come onto our side? Well, God is righteous, and that word actually is interchangeable when we talk about the righteousness of God. A part of that righteousness of God is that not only does he love and have compassion, but he has also has to mete out justice. He can't do one without the other. And peace and righteousness have kissed each other. Mercy and truth have met together. They've come together at the cross. And God, because he is just, because the payment was made, will not withhold that payment for our sin, will not withhold that redemption that Christ wrought on the cross for us because it was finished. The work of Christ 
was finished, paid in full. So I plead with all that may be looking for perfection in Christ, in men, before they commit their life to Christ. Not to look on men, but to look on Christ. The, the apostle himself says that our faith should not be in men, that we would not commit ourselves into the lives of men, because if we do, we'll fail miserably, but that we would commit our lives and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why the apostle Paul said, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Commit everything to Christ and he will abundantly pardon. Again, we thank the Lord and Brother Phil for the message. And uh, we'd like to have now a time for announcements.